Well, we come to the end of the story today. And at the end of the story of this Gospel of Luke, where we've been taking a very steady look, and I want to remind you, we've been in the Gospel of Luke since December of 2019, long before we knew the craziness of 2020 was even going to come. And we've been looking at the life, the ministry, the mission, and now we've been looking at the crucifixion, the burial, and today we come to the end of the story, the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to start by asking a question. As you've seen from our songs that we've sung today and the scripture that MJ shared with us, we're talking about hope. And so my question today is, how full is your hope tank? How, how much are you living with hope, or have you suffered a blow to your hope? And perhaps there's something in your life, or you're in a season of life, where you would say, I had hope, but now my hope is dead. I had hope, but now it's passed me by. Have you ever encountered somebody that as they go through a difficult season of life, or somehow, some way, they're able to hold on to hope, and you just stand in awe of them? I, I've known people throughout my ministry that have walked through several difficult seasons of life, and as I look at it from the outside, I wonder, how do you even get out of bed each day? And yet, when I encounter them, they don't downplay the fact that they're struggling. They don't downplay the fact that they're suffering. But still, they say, but I live with hope. They have this incredible faith that keeps moving them forward. And I stand in awe of that, and oftentimes I'm jealous of that. Because at the same time, I'm well aware of the times in my life, and perhaps yours, or the folks that I know that have walked through a season, and it broke them. And it stole their hope. And it robbed their hope from them. Well, today we're going to talk about where's the source of hope. And as we dive into this, we're coming into the story. And if you want to open up your scripture journals, if you've got one of these, you can open up to page 170 in our scripture journals. Or you can open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. And while you're finding that, we're going to look at the end of Luke's story. And isn't it critical on how a story ends? I mean, think of the movies that you've loved. I've got to imagine there's not a single movie that you think of that you actually loved and you hated the ending. You don't say, well, I love the whole movie, but I hated the ending. Because that doesn't become a movie that you love. If you remember so recently when... Marvel Studios took on this really amazing, never-before-seen, epic adventure of trying to tell this, this Infinity War story over multiple, like 20-plus movies. It was critical that in their final movie called The Endgame, they had to stick the landing. Because if they messed up the ending, it was going to totally changed how everybody viewed everything that came before it. So the ending, how something ends, is critical. And Luke paints a very unique picture. He gives us a little snippet, a snapshot, of what would almost be an, uh, an unnoticed event in the life of Jesus. And yet there's something so powerful, because this is how, how Luke begins to wrap up the story of Jesus. So, 
join me with this. Luke chapter 24. And I'm going to start reading in verse 13. We'll have the words up here. Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, at this point, this is all we know. We have two people. We don't know if it's a man and a woman. We don't know if it's two guys walking together. It's probably not just two women because that wouldn't be safe. It wouldn't be safe today. It wouldn't be safe back then. But we actually, maybe it's a husband and a wife. But we know there's two of them. In a little bit, we're going to learn one of their names. But they're leaving Jerusalem. They're on the road out. It's the same day that Jesus has rose from the tomb. It's Sunday. But they're not convinced of that yet. And so they're walking away. So imagine that walk away from the funeral home after you've buried a loved one. That walk away from the graveyard after you've said the final words and the last prayer. That's what these two are experiencing. And they're going back home. They're headed toward this little town seven miles away from Emmaus. And so it was definitely within a walking distance And they're traveling along, and they're discussing something. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And what they were discussing was what had happened over the last few days. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, I'm going to pause right there, because what you need to see in this story is, they're on this road, this road of despair, They're on this road of heartache, they're on this road of disappointment, and their hope has died. And Jesus goes to them on the road. So just just a takeaway right away. When you're in some of your lowest points, Jesus is coming to be with you. He is seeking you even at times when you're not seeking Him. So Jesus draws near, and he walks along with them. Now, pay attention to verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. For some reason, they don't see who he is. I don't know if this is by divine intervention or not, but they walk along, and all they know is this is a stranger, it's a companion, it's a traveling buddy now, and they're just going to walk along. And Jesus asks them this question. He says, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Can you feel their emotion in this? Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And now, stand there, asking Jesus, Are you the only one that doesn't know what happened? He's the one that they all happened to. And he, they ask him this question, and Jesus asked this, What things? And they said to them, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So they give this account. And I want you to pay attention to the next words. And I want you to circle these. I want you to highlight these. I want you to write these in your app if you've got one open. Verse 21, but we had 
hoped. Past tense. We, we saw the miracles. We got our hopes up. We were excited. We thought he was the one. We put all of our chips on that bet. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I'm going to ask you, is there any more difficult, sad words in our English language? We had hoped. Have you gone through a season where they, those words were your words? We had hoped, oh, that it would be different this time. We had hoped that the medicine would work. We had hoped that the job would come through. We had hoped that the virus would have ended long before now. I had hoped that my child would have come home. We had hoped that we would be able to get pregnant. We had hoped that the judge would have been more lenient on our son. We would hoped that our daughter would not have returned to that guy again. We'd hoped to be married by now. We'd hoped that the marriage did not have to end. We'd hoped to have made the team this year. We'd hoped to have graduated. Can you feel that? Any of that connect with you? Perhaps, once again, the saddest language, saddest words in the English language. It's got some cousins. If only. If only this had come through. If only this had happened. If only we could have made it till. And I wished. I wished it would have been so. And so here's these two. As they're walking along the road and they lay out this, but we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this. And now they're going to give a report. It is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover. Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they mean that morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, this is Jesus. He began to say, O foolish ones to them. Now, the, the struggle here is they've gotten these positive reports, but their hope has died because Jesus has died. And they do exactly what you and I would do. We would assume, not assume, we would be convinced. We would know that's the end of the story. There's no other story beyond this end of the story. We saw him put into the tomb. And so these stories that we're hearing from these women that have gone to the tomb, we don't know what's going on, but they cannot mean that he's alive. That's not how stories like this end. That's not how Roman crucifixion comes out. And so what are they doing? They are walking away from Jerusalem in defeat. They're walking away from Jerusalem in despair because they are convinced the story is over. Their hope has died. Their hope tank is completely empty. And Jesus says, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They're walking along in the midst of their despair. Jesus joins them in that, and then he begins to reveal what to them? He doesn't simply do a miracle. Now, see, if I had written the story, that's what Jesus would do. He would show up and he'd go, oh, you're sad? Watch this. And he'd perform some cool magic trick right there and show who he is. But instead, he takes them to the same resource that you and I have access to. He goes to the same place that you and I have the ability to go. He takes them right into Scripture, right into God's Word, right into the story of what God is doing. And he takes them into what we would call the Old Testament. But he essentially takes them into the Jewish Bible. And he begins to account stories that they already know, but he goes through story after story, from the Moses and from the prophets and all through Scripture, and he begins to reveal himself in Scripture. Now, I know that you heard the phrase that we are New Testament Christians. And that is absolutely true, but I want you to understand the story of Jesus did not start in Matthew, in the beginning of the New Testament. You look back and you discover Jesus all through the Old Testament, and that's what he's doing. He's revealing himself. And he begins to do this Bible study. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in this Bible study? When Jesus is talking about himself, and he's given all these illustrations, and he points to stories that are very familiar to them, and he begins to reveal God's word to them. It's the same place that you and I can go in the midst of our struggle. I'm going to encourage you as we get into the study on the Sermon on the Mount that you spend a great amount of time in the Scriptures with us because there you're going to find some encouragement. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's leading them this, and He reveals to them, and He reveals to them, and He reveals to them all the Scriptures about the things concerning Himself. The story goes on. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying... Now, what I imagine has gone on is he has been such a powerful teacher, and they have learned so much from this, it's almost one of those, we want to keep the conversation going. We want to keep talking to you. This has been a blessing. This has been rich. Stay here with us. Stay with us for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, watch what happens next. They sit down at the table. Jesus, who does not own the house, he's a guest in the house, but he's about to step outside of the role of the guest and assume the role of the host. Very important. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Jesus becomes the host of this meal. He takes the bread. He breaks the bread. And in the blessing of that, look what happens. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanishes from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened up the scriptures to us, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They just completed a seven-mile walk one way. And they jump up and they turn around and they head the other way. Because an encounter with Jesus changes your direction. 
and it changes your purpose, and it changes what you're about. They rose, they went, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. And then verse 35, They told them what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The breaking of bread. That's Lord's Supper language, isn't it? In fact, that's the exact same kind of language that Luke uses in chapter 19. He uses this breaking of bread, and there's something about that moment where Jesus takes the bread, and he assumes the role of the host of the feast, and he breaks this bread, and their eyes are opened, and now they see Jesus in their midst. And he was with them all along. So I'm going to give you some takeaways. I'm going to give you three takeaways. And then at the end of these three takeaways, what we're going to do is we're going to share in the supper together. And so if you're watching online, you're participating, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get the elements of the Lord's Supper ready so that when we go into that, you can take this together. And if you're at home, I want you to have a piece of paper and a pencil ready also because I'm going to give you instructions and invite you into an exercise today. If you're in on our campus, you've got some note cards and some pens already on the tables that I want you to be ready for those. But here's some bottom lines I want you to take away from. First, this. As they walked along the road, they came to realize that Jesus is present even when you don't recognize him. Jesus did not abandon them on the road. They're on the road pretty sure that Rome has won, Their hopes are defeated, but as they moved along, even though they were still in their depressed, hopeless state, Jesus is right there in the midst. Even in your worst moment, Jesus is present with you, even when you don't recognize Him. Sometimes we get blinders on. Our situation becomes dire. Our hope goes out the window, so we think. And so what happens is we lose our sight. We lose our ability to see Jesus in the moment. But you need to be assured that Jesus is with you. He's present even when you can't see Him. Second takeaway is this. What they learned by sitting at the table is that their hope was, is now a who, not a what or a when. See, early on, when they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard these things? And they go on the account, we saw this, we saw this, we saw this. And so we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We had put our, our chips here and we said, there's a when coming. There's a what coming. A what is a redemption of Israel. When is going to be soon. He's going to be the one that leads us. And suddenly their what and their when was gone. They didn't have that anymore. And they learned what we need to understand is that our hope is a who. It's a person. It's not circumstances. It's not events. Some of you had had, have had an event or circumstance or something that's robbed your what. I wanted this. I had hoped for this, but that what is no longer available to you. Or I thought if I could just hang on till when, when this happens, and that's no longer going to happen. That's no longer in the future. And I want you to see that what goes on here for their hope tank, the way that hope is restored to them, is not that their situation changed. Because at this moment, Rome is still in power. At this moment, they still are an oppressed people. At this moment, by their account, 
Israel has not been redeemed. All of their wants and we can't wait tills and some days have not come true yet. But their hope has been restored because they realize that the hope is now a who. And, a, and they find that person in Jesus. Number three. This is important. Hopeful prayer is this. Hopeful prayer is expressing what you had hoped for and then listening to what Jesus has to say about it. Hopeful prayer is expressing what you had hoped for and then listening to what Jesus has to say about it. You see what happened on the road? They poured out their hopes. They didn't know they were talking to Jesus, but they poured out their hopes to Him. We had hoped He was the one. And oftentimes, the way that we move back into hope after we are afraid that hope has died is we begin by having a prayer that tells God, here's what we'd hoped for. I had hope for this, and I'm going to lay it out for you, God. And maybe you call it a vent session or a gripe session or just a pouring out of your heart session, but prayer begins there. And maybe you're afraid, well, that doesn't sound like something we can talk to Jesus about. That doesn't sound like something that's proper to talk to God about. I want you to know God is big enough to handle it. The Psalms are an accounting of faithful followers of God pouring out their hearts before Him. They're not afraid to complain. They're not afraid to empty themselves in not nice little neat church packages, but in raw emotion. And so your hopeful prayer begins by expressing to God what you had hoped for. And then, like this two on this road that have listened to Jesus, they poured themselves out and then they listened as Jesus responded back. There's hope prayer. That's hopeful prayer there. Pouring yourself out and then listening to what Jesus responds. Listening to Jesus as he speaks into that. And maybe that's through the voice of another. Maybe that's found in Scripture. But we position ourselves to hear what Jesus is saying back into our lives and speaking into our hope. And so that's what I want us to do today. In the midst of this Lord's Supper, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus broke bread and he revealed himself. And that's exactly what he does every single Sunday. Because you see, every Sunday, I'm not the host of the feast. The elders aren't the host of the feast. Jesus is always the host of the Lord's Supper. It's his supper. It's his table. And so every time we break bread together, every time we come together and do this, and this is one of the reasons that we do this every week, because we need this. We're given another opportunity to recognize Jesus right in our presence. Can I show you something cool that I came across? This was revealed to me when I was doing some study. This is the eighth meal that takes place in the Gospel of Luke. The eighth meal. Now, I know you're wondering, why do we keep up with the meals and why would that be important? Because numbers, if you understand anything about the way the Jewish mind is structured, numbers play an important role. You may be familiar with the number seven. That's the, the number of completion. That, that's the number of, of being perfect and finished. Seven days to a week. 
You know, that's the idea of it, it is completed, it's been finished. Well, the number eight has meaning too. And if number seven is completion, number eight is a new creation. It's a new beginning. It's a new start. And it bridges the gap between the earthly world and the spiritual world. And so with this eighth meal, with this coming together, it's Jesus signifying and Luke reminding us that now something new has begun. This new connection, this bridge between earth and what we can see and touch in the creation and the Creator. And so I want us to experience that today. So here's what I want you to do. On the piece of paper, I want you to write this phrase. But I had hoped. But I had hoped that. And I want to give you a minute to think about how you're going to complete that sentence. What, what has it been for you that you had hoped but seems long gone now? What has it been for you that your hope tank has gone dry, that you've experienced a death of hope because? How do you complete that? And then I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray a prayer over the bread. And we're going to take the bread together. Then I'll pray a prayer over the cup, and we'll take that together. And following that, we'll have a song. But this will be a chance for us to recognize Jesus once again. So, a minute. How do you complete? But I had hoped that. If you would, let's pray together. Jesus, as we sit in your presence now, and Father, on our hearts and on our minds is things that we had hoped for. So Father, whatever is before us, our prayer is this, that like the two that were on the road to Emmaus, as we're each on our own road to Emmaus, Father, that in this moment, in this breaking of the bread, in this moment that Jesus is the host, that we would see him. And Father, I pray that you would transition us from hoping from a what and a when to a who, to the person Jesus. Father, that may be difficult for us to do, but by your power, we can do that. So it's in the name of the one that offers himself up that I pray this prayer. And together, we break bread. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We began focusing on the idea of an anchor that is our hope. And that image with MJ out in the boat and what happens to a boat that's not anchored and not properly moored. So, as I pray over this, realize we share this cup, the blood that becomes our hope, that becomes our anchor, the one that will withstand any storm. And even the situation that perhaps you find yourself in in the season of life that you're in right now, that this is the reason that we have hope, because on your behalf and in your place, God did something. 
on your behalf and in your place, Jesus went into action. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would lean into the moments where our hope seems to be gone and fleeting. And so whatever is before us right now that we're wrestling with, Father, I pray that you would use this meal, this opportunity to remind us that you are the one that will make all things new. That will make all things redeemed. And that you have not gone on vacation. You haven't quit working on behalf even when we don't see you, Father. So help us to see you in the moment. Father, I pray you would open our eyes. Open our hearts. Open our lives. And even while we're on our own Emmaus Road, that we would see Jesus. And that would give us hope filled lives. Thank you for the blood that was spilt. Thank you for the sacrifice that was made. Thank you for the anchor that we now have. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.